Vanilla or chocolate? Cats or dogs? Ninja or samurai? Or uh, Star Trek or Star Wars, right? These are like the age-old questions. Which one do you prefer? Now a hard one. Jesus or the Holy Spirit? You're like, well, how do I choose between those two? If you could only pick one, which one would you choose? My natural desire is to pick Jesus. I'm like, he's our resurrected king. He taught us how to live in love. He's God in human form. He's a relatable God, a God that moved into the neighborhood. But when Jesus talks to his disciples, he says, if you could choose between me or the Holy Spirit, pick the Spirit. In John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15, it says, Truly I tell you, it's for your good that I am going away. How could Jesus going away be good? Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if you go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more that I want to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that's why I said, the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus says, it's good to not have me beside you. If you can get the Holy Spirit in you. That's a hard thing for me to wrestle with. That's not my natural. Like, if I could have Jesus right here, I'd take that. And Jesus says, no, there's something. You already have something better. Now, Jesus is not saying that the Holy Spirit is better than him. Like, you know, it's like Father, Spirit, and Jesus is the bottom of the totem pole. The Trinity is three persons, one God, all equal in power and majesty, equally loving and submitting to each other. The relationship in the Trinity is supposed to be an example of how marriage should work. Co-rulers of equal station and authority mutually submitting to each other on the basis of love. There is no ego in the Trinity. You know, they're not trying to one-up each other. There's no insecurity. Jesus isn't like, I'm just not that good spirit. You're better than me. Like, that's not going on here at all. And Jesus isn't saying that the spirit is some kind of higher rank than him or better than him. He is saying that the spirit in us is better than Jesus with us. Now, this is still a profound thought, and it's one that I wrestle with, because I really want Jesus standing right here next to me, with me, but he says it's better to have the Spirit in me. If I had the choice right now, I think I would pick Jesus. Like, I'm, we have Jesus in church with us. He's standing right here, you know? That would make it a pretty great Sunday for me, if Jesus physically showed up here with us. But Jesus is saying... Better than him beside us is the Spirit in us. And that means that I have such a low view of the Holy Spirit and what he does in me and through me that I'm disagreeing with Jesus. If I understand how much the Spirit does, if, if I had an active participatory relationship with him rather than just a vague understanding of his theology— I think I would see that Jesus is right. And that's exactly why we're in the series that we're in. We're in a series about the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does and how we practically relate to him in our everyday lives. Because many of us know the doctrines about the Holy Spirit, but we don't understand how he fits into our daily lives. We don't understand how he actually 
uh, how we actually live out our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So today we're looking at this argument that Jesus makes that the Spirit in us is better than him beside us. When Jesus took on human form, he was bound by the limitations of being human. He was not in Jerusalem and Capernaum at the same time, right? He traveled. He took boats. He traveled on the road. He could be in one geographic place at a time. He could only humanly balance so many relationships at a time. He could only talk to so many people at a time. He got tired. He got hungry. Whereas the Spirit, with the infinite capacity of the divine, can live in all believers at the same time. The Spirit can be working at spots on the globe simultaneously. He can be working in my heart and in the heart of a believer in India at the same time. He never sleeps. He never tires. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit here the advocate. The Greek word is parakletos, which means an advocate, an intercessor, a consoler, a comforter, and a helper. Now, this word is only used three times in the New Testament, in John 14, in John 15, and in John 16. In each case, Jesus uses it to refer to the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go any farther, Jesus said, it's good for me to go away. Um, and so let me just add, Jesus never leaves without reason. If it feels like Jesus is far away, it's not because he was just like, ah, I've got other things to do. I'm just going to leave you on your own for a while. Many times we sense a distance between ourselves and Jesus, but Jesus never leaves without reason. He's departing to go and send the Holy Spirit. He has to go to send the Spirit. He doesn't say why. We don't know why. But when it feels like Jesus has gone away or is distant, it's never by accident, and it's not some kind of silence treatment. Jesus is not like, well, you annoyed me, so I'm giving you the silence treatment. Have you ever been in that relationship with somebody and they like get on your nerves and so you give them the silence treatment and you're like, I just won't talk to you. Jesus is not punishing us. When Jesus goes away, it is to send something we need. So let's look at what, the G what Jesus says the Spirit will do. In verse 8, he says that the Spirit will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Whose job is it to convince people that they have selfish, destructive things in their life. Is it my job? Is it your job? Is it the church's job? Jesus says it's the Spirit's job. Um, one of my favorite reminders in the last few years has been to constantly say to myself, the Spirit does the heavy lifting. Like, I wish I could change people. Um, I would change everybody. You know, I'd make everybody like me, and then we'd all think exactly the same. It'd be great, right? And you'd probably make everybody just like you. And one of the beautiful things of the world is that we're not all alike, right? It's good to have differences. But we can't change people. And the more that I uh, live life, the more I realize that you can't change anyone. But the Holy Spirit inside people can change people from the inside out. Many times I'm trying to do the Holy Spirit job for him, and I wondered why it isn't working. Many times we're desperately trying to get our friends or our family to see their sin and acknowledge their Savior, but we can't move them because we're trying to do the Spirit's job instead of doing our job. John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. The Holy Spirit is working inside people convincing them to believe in Jesus, convincing them that their selfish, destructive behaviors in their life won't make them into people of peace and agents of love. We don't need to condemn people or march in rallies or shout through bullhorns because you know what? That doesn't change. Somebody the other day uh, this week said something really stupid on Twitter, and I was like, that's very incorrect. I need to respond to this. And so I wrote up a little pithy, super logical 
succinct argument and sent it back. And then he proceeded to like sling mud at my character and nature, personality, and looked, you know. And I'm like, I did nothing to change this guy's mind. All I did was make him mad and get into like this weird fight where he, now it's like real personal and he's like angry at me. And um, all I was trying to do was help change his mind and help him see things. Um, if you live long enough, you realize, man, I can't change anybody's mind. You know, sit down at a family dinner at Thanksgiving. Sit down across from somebody who thinks very differently than you about something. Can you change their mind? No. You can ruin a really nice family dinner, but you can't change their mind, right? Only the Spirit can change hearts and minds. Churches waste so much of their time, energy, and voice trying to condemn sin when the Spirit said that he would do that. I think many times the American church has made it their mission to publicly condemn anything in culture that doesn't align with their faith. But that's not the mission Jesus gave us. He gave us the mission to share the good news. The Holy Spirit does the work of changing people from the inside out. Our mission is to say that everything broken in this world will one day be fixed because a dead man came back from li to life. He was God in human form and defeated death, and now he's coming back to set things right. And everyone who believes on him, who becomes his apprentice, will be with him forever. That's our message, that death doesn't get the final word, that sin and brokenness and war and poverty and racism will all one day die. If something is sin, that's the Spirit's job. Talking about Jesus is our job, but we're often too busy condemning our neighbor's sin to, to actually talk about Jesus. And when we do bring him up, they've been so distanced from us because how much we've condemned them. They want, nothing to hear, they want to hear nothing about Jesus. Many times it's a lot easier to feel superior to someone by talking to them about their sin than it is to share Jesus with them. The religious leaders in Jesus' day also had a screwed up vision of what righteousness looked like. Um, Jesus said that when the Spirit comes, he will not only talk to the world about sin, but about righteousness. Um, in Jesus' day, being righteous was about doing all the right things. And so that's why you had these really terrible people who were selfish and were arrogant and were just awful people. But they were doing the right things. They were checking the right boxes. They were doing all the religious things they were supposed to, but they didn't actually love their neighbor. And Jesus provided a counter argument that being righteous is not about just doing all the right things. Being righteous is about being in a right relationship with God the Father. Jesus said the Spirit would continue to critique people's definitions of what it means to be righteous once he was gone. And the Spirit in us helps us question our motives. He makes us examine our deeds. He encourages us to love God without strings attached. I'm convinced that most of us love God when everything in our life is going according to our plans. Most of us turn on God the moment something unexpected happens. At least that's what I often do in my life. The Spirit is the voice that confronts you, that you only serve to be noticed, you only give to be blessed, you only speak to be noticed. The Spirit reminds us that often we do good things for bad reasons. Uh, there's many times where I do things, and afterwards, a few days later, I'm like, I did that for all the wrong reasons. I did that for such selfish reasons. Um, there's a popular podcaster, Kerry Newhoff, who has a leadership podcast with millions of downloads, and he interviews all these big-name speakers and thinkers and writers, and he says the number one question he's asked by pastors is, how do I get a bigger platform? 
That's exactly the type of thing that the Spirit of God critiques in us. The desire for a platform rather than the desire to sacrifice and serve a people. The Spirit knows the best of us and the worst of us and promises to never leave us or forsake us. Many Christians spend a lot of time cleaning up the outward behaviors of their lives, and they should. Like, you shouldn't be going around doing terrible things. But the Spirit is deeply concerned with our inward motivations because many times you can appear to be a nice moral person on the outside, but be a terrible person on the inside. Finally, Jesus sees the Spirit as also part of a systematic invasion of this rebel world held by dark spiritual powers. Notice the third thing that he says, and the Spirit will be about judgment because the prince of this world now stands judged. He's talking about the dark spiritual forces at work in our world to rob people of joy and bring about sickness and death and war. The Holy Spirit in us and working through us has the enemy cornered. We're on the winning side. We're, sometimes I read things from um, churches and ministries and they're like, we're losing the battle. It's all over. Just because we're seeing a decline in Christianity in the West doesn't mean that Christianity is going away or that suddenly God has lost the war. When Jesus died on the cross, sin and death and the devil were defeated forever. This is their final moments. They're not winning. They've already lost. We should walk around with the confidence that God himself lives in us. Where you walk, you carry the God of heaven with you, the Holy Spirit. We should not fear the darkness because it can never overcome the light that lives in us. In verses 12 through 13, Jesus says the Spirit will continue to teach us and guide us into all truth. And Jesus is telling his disciples, he's like, look, my time is limited. I'm only teaching here for three years, and then I am going to be crucified and resurrected, and I'm going to ascend to heaven, and it's going to be a while till I come back and set up my kingdom. You're not yet ready to hear everything that I want to teach you. Jesus is like, I have a lot more things that I want to say and I want to teach you. You're just not ready for it. The Spirit is positioned to teach us when we are prepared to listen. He guides us into all things that will prepare our hearts and lives to listen and learn from the teachings we need to become more like Jesus. Sometimes someone will say something, it's usually Darby, and it's incredibly wise. But I'm like, I don't want to listen to that. And so I ignore it. And then my mentor, David Pearson, he'll say the exact same thing, literally word for word. And I'll be like, that's so good. Darby, listen to what David said. Listen to how good this was. And she's like, I've been saying that for three years, you know? Sometimes our hearts are not prepared to listen and learn, but the Spirit is ready to speak into our lives when we're ready to listen. Sometimes the Spirit leads you to hard places in order to teach you lessons you wouldn't listen to in comfortable places. Now, this isn't motivated by cruelty. You know, the Spirit's not like, hey, we're really going to make them go through some stuff but by a desire to make us into people of peace and agents of love. Usually difficult times remind me that my peace is actually pretty shallow and my love is pretty short. The church tradition I grew up in has a saying that they like to say all the time, sola scriptura, which is Latin for only scripture. And it literally means that scripture is the ultimate authority, which is a good idea. But the idea is often translated as God only speaks through the Bible. And through nothing else. I remember when a few years ago this uh, book came out, Jesus Calling. Anybody familiar with Jesus Calling? And people at the church I was at, they were like getting so upset. They're like, Jesus doesn't call. He's already called through the Bible. How dare he speak again? You know, like that's the only time he's spoken. He can't say anything else. Um, 
if that's true, Jesus seems to be arguing something different here. He continues to speak through the Spirit into our hearts and minds and lives. The Spirit is committed to communicating the words of Jesus into your heart and mind. He will speak of things to come. In my faith tradition, though, this makes us very nervous. Look, ooh, we're getting into some weird stuff right here. He, we didn't like things that couldn't be clearly defined. And yes, some, in some cases we saw where people took advantage of this to claim outlandish ideas or schemes are from the Holy Spirit. I mean, how many times have we seen somebody on television like, the world is going to end on this date, the Holy Spirit told me, and then we're still around, you know? Or they're like, you need to buy this thing from me, the Holy Spirit's telling you to buy it. And you're like, you just want my money. The Holy Spirit speaks to our soul, carrying the words of Jesus. And just because some people abuse it doesn't mean we can ignore it. He carries the words of Jesus, not just the things he said in the Bible long ago, but what he is saying to you right here at this minute. The Holy Spirit in you has a message of God for you. From the God who existed before the first sunrise, who spoke the world into being, he wants to talk to you. When we don't believe that God is still speaking, it makes prayer boring. If prayer is just about like, here God, here's my laundry list of everything I need. I know you're not going to say anything, so there's no point me here sitting and trying to have a conversation. It's completely one-sided, a monologue to the ceiling. No wonder why we're bored by prayer. And God's certainly not going to call us to do anything or ask us to reach out to someone or give us a word to speak to someone if all of a sudden... God only speaks through the Bible. He's not actually speaking through the Spirit at all. If the Spirit is carrying messages from Jesus to us, we need to spend time slowing down and listening for his voice. Because a message from God can restore the weary, it can encourage the depressed, it can bring hope to the broken, it can change the person who seems unchangeable. For often, we say we want to be encouraged, or we, want to, we say we want to be renewed, but we expect God to just kind of supernaturally do it automatically. But that comes from receiving a word from God, and that requires sitting still and learning how to listen for the Spirit's voice. Now, quickly, I want to give some practical advice about listening for the voice of the Spirit, because I've seen far too many people tell me that the Spirit is telling them to do something that is just plain stupid, sometimes it's completely anti-Christ, sometimes it's just ridiculous, and I'm like, I'm not sure the Spirit's involved in this. First, the Spirit of God is never going to contradict the Word of God. The Word of God was written by the Spirit of God. He's not going to change his mind. If you think the Holy Spirit is telling you to go kill somebody, guess what? The Spirit commanded us not to kill in the Bible. And another kind of Spirit must be speaking to you. Because the Word of God teaches us to turn the other cheek, not fire both barrels. In 1 John 4, 1... Uh, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul says, Test everything, hold fast to what is good. We must be careful because our flesh, our selfish, destructive appetites can deceive us. And because we want something, we can claim it is the Spirit of God. 
And I think if we thought long and hard, there have probably been moments in our life where we're like, God's telling me to do this, but really it's just what we wanted. And because we wanted to do it, we assumed it was a leading of God's. There are voices in our world that dig into our minds like earworms. You know what an earworm is? It's not a creepy worm from like Star Trek, you know? Um, earworms are catchy. Remember, that's a deep cut. Wrath of Khan. Anybody? Thank you. You did? It's such, it still holds up. It's good. Yeah. Um, anyways, Al and I just had a Star Trek moment. Nobody else knows what we're talking about. Earworms are catchy or memorable pieces of music or sayings that continuously occupy a person's mind even after it's no longer played or spoken about. Finish this statement. The best part of waking up. It's an earworm. How do we all know that? We've heard it and now it's stuck in our head. I grew up in the 90s and every Saturday I had a ritual. Get up, eat cereal, watch Saturday morning cartoons. ABC Saturday morning cartoons had this jingle. I still say it occasionally as I walk around. I'll just be working here at the art center and I'll be like, after these messages, we'll be right back. And I'm like, what is that? It's 30 years later and I'm still singing this thing because I heard it over and over and over again. It's become an earworm in my head. <laughs> we have spiritual earworms that have become so familiar, we think they're the voice of the Spirit, but they might not be. How many times have we said, God is telling me to do whatever, but really it's what we want to do, and we just use God as an excuse? I mean, one of the ultimate things is when somebody would be doing something at the church I was at in Tennessee, and they didn't want to do it anymore. You could tell. They were just done. And they'd be like, God's told me to stop this ministry. I'm like, did he? Because it's been pretty obvious that this ministry is helping hurting people. It's just been pretty clear you've been checked out for a while. How many times have we espoused a truth that isn't found in scripture that sometimes is contrary to the very nature of God, but we've heard it so often, we've thought about it so often, we've accepted it as truth? Neuroscientists have found that the most dangerous thing is because the voice we hear most is our voice. It's the voice we trust most. And sometimes what you think about, you hear in your own voice and you believe. Why is it that we need to go to psychologists and therapists and counselors? Well, because oftentimes we believe lies because in our heads we have told them to ourselves, over and over and over again and they're in a familiar voice that we know and trust our voice and sometimes we can begin to think that our voice is the voice of the spirit i have a number of friends who still pastor in tennessee and throughout the south and it's always interesting to me they'll post up on facebook and they're like well the spirit of god's moving us again we're going to leave our church and we're going to go from this church of 50 to this church of 100 I'm like, that's interesting. And then they're like, the Spirit of God's leading us again, that it's time to move from this church of 100 to this church of 300. And then the Spirit of God's moving in a few years from this church of 300 to a church of 1,000. And I always say, it's interesting that the Spirit always leads to more pay, more people, more comfortable, safe, better jobs. It seems the Holy Spirit is always leading them to a bigger audience and louder applause. It's a dangerous thing to choose what we want and then say, God told me. It's the will of God. The Spirit led me. We need to be careful with that. It'd be crazy, you know, like if somebody came in here and they spray painted over these paintings. These are $100,000 paintings. 
if somebody came in here and graffitied on them and said, Alex told me to do it, I'd be pretty mad. Because I'm like, I did not tell you to do that. I don't want to pay for those. That wasn't me. But I think sometimes we do things and we're like, God told me to do it. And I think that he might be just as annoyed. In Matthew 4, 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Did you catch that? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to go on a retreat, to go on a sabbatical, to have a nice time, to have a vacation, right? No, to be tempted by the devil. If the Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness to battle the devil, you can assume that the Spirit is not going to lead you very often to a nicer house, better paying job, and more comfortable retirement. The Spirit is at war with the dark powers in our world. The Spirit is going to lead you to the front lines. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you into dark places so that he can shine a light through you. If the Spirit of God led Jesus to the cross to die for hurting people, we can expect that the Spirit will lead us into places of sacrifice for the good of others too. If you feel like the will of God is leading you to something safer, more comfortable, and honestly, less dangerous, stop and think, is this really the Spirit? Yeah, many times our peace is like, I really like when things are safe. That gives me peace. We're at war with an enemy power at the work in this world to bring about ruin and depression and bring about anxiety and worry and fear and sickness and uh, death. Like, he hates humanity. Notice the last role that the Holy Spirit does that Jesus mentions here. He will speak for Jesus and he will draw attention to Jesus. J.I. Packer called the work of the Holy Spirit a floodlight ministry like a light on a stage in a play. No one, like, when they're watching a play, is like, and those are some good floodlights. Check out how good the lighting system is. Man, these are nice. Nobody's looking at the lights, right? They're looking at the stage. The light is all about drawing attention to the stage. Like a light on its stage, the Holy Spirit's goal is not to draw attention to himself, but draw attention to Jesus. J.D. Greer says, when someone claims to be filled with the Spirit and yet spends most of their time talking about their own experiences with the Spirit instead of about Jesus, you have to doubt whether they are really filled with the Spirit. Because the Spirit is always talking about Jesus. He's always pointing people to Jesus. He's always elevating Jesus. He's lifting up the name of Jesus. He's bringing people to Jesus. He wants the world to center around Jesus. So, is having the Spirit in us better than Jesus besides us? Man, I'm not going to argue with Jesus. It's still hard for me to believe, though. I'm going to trust that what Jesus says is true, um, but I think we would more easily, easily believe this if we stopped and quieted our minds. We listened for the voice of the Spirit, because I think the Spirit is speaking words of life, words our souls are hungry for, words from King Jesus personally to us where we are at. Jesus thinks more highly of the Spirit than I do. But I want to learn to think of the Spirit like Jesus does. I want to have a relationship with him that would be better than having Jesus beside me. Because Jesus says, that's the beautiful vision of the Holy Spirit in you. It's better than having me beside you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, meet with us. Speak with us. Forgive us for thinking so little of you. For not believing what Jesus said. That you in us is better than even him our King beside us. Holy Spirit, fill us. Forgive us for trying to do the supernatural without you. 
we don't want dead religion. Don't leave us with powerless meetings, with no sign of the supernatural. Surprise us, delight us. Do wonders for your glory. And above all, draw the attention.